This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to the Power of Murmuration podcast, where we explore modern management and leadership practices, leadership as a state of mind, and co-create a leadership-focused future. I'm Jennifer. And I'm Amelia. And we are both leadership and management partners at Great Ormond Street Hospital. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Mark Coker, the Director of ICT at Great Ormond Street. Mark, warm welcome to you. Thank you for sparing us some time today. Please, would you tell us a little about yourself? Thank you, yeah. So I joined the NHS in 1999, not long after graduating from university. So my first role was actually an entry-level finance role at the University College Hospitals London. Whilst in that role, I, I became really interested in systems of databases and application development and started using some of the IT skills that I'd already had beforehand to start to try and automate some of the routine tasks that were part of my job. After a year in that role, I actually left and took up an IT position at Hammersmith Hospitals, which was to develop databases and websites and some information analysis work. After that, just started moving more into managerial and leadership roles, initially managing small teams of application developers and data warehouse developers, then heading up digital delivery functions, business intelligence systems functions at a number of other NHS trusts. And that also included a spell as a regional head of NHS England. So how did you get interested in computers and IT and wireless and all sorts of things. So what's your main interest in that area? So actually I became interested in IT probably when I was in primary school, when I first ever used the computer. And then later on, when I was a little bit older, probably about nine or 10, my parents actually bought me my own computer and I took the interest that I had in IT to the next level and started to learn to code in the basic programming language and sort of building very simple programs. And as far as your, your people management, your people leadership skill, you've led a team who had been through the doldrums. I think that COVID really moved the NHS ahead probably 10 years. We didn't have all the focus groups. Everyone suddenly on the, the 23rd of March was working from their homes. How did you encourage such agility? I mean, I, I think for a start, we didn't have much of a choice and I think it, I agree with you. I think it was a good thing. And I don't think there was much choice in terms of we had to get on with things. We had to enable people to work differently. And we had to think differently as well. We had to think differently about what was acceptable, what wasn't acceptable. And we had to be adaptable. And I think, I think that was one of the key things there. And there were parts of what we were asked to do or what we had to do that were, were quite welcome. It, it was a welcome change from what we'd done in the past. There were some things that did make us feel a little bit nervous in terms of what we were doing. But I think ultimately it's brought us to a much better place in terms of how we work as an organisation and how we function as a department as well. What skills did you use to hold your team together and then to promote that sense of one team, that sense of oneness? I found it was very important that we, we all supported each other during that time. And I think it was very important that we had that flexibility with people in terms of how they worked what they had going on at home as well. 
we had to be understanding where people had situations with loved ones, children, parents, where it was difficult for them to be on site at certain times or, or where they struggled to get into work for one reason or the other. I know it was really important that we were understanding and supportive in those sorts of situations. I also think that it was really important that we regularly came together as a team and spoke and supported one another through that period because I, I found parts of it, you could actually end up feeling quite isolated. I, I was one of the people that probably didn't enjoy working from home that much. And some people did say that they did find it quite isolating being stuck at home and just on the end of a video conference for, for most of the week. So it was, it was important to recognize that and to, to have regular contact and touch points with one another. Yeah, I think it was surprising. I, I expected the, the introverted personalities to, to really enjoy working from home. But even I, as an extroverted personality, it had its good points and it had its not so good points. And I think isolation was one of those, that feeling of loneliness, which often we don't want to admit to. So, yeah, I agree with you. It is that sense of coming together and being able to share authentically. So I'm interested, Marie, just from what you said. I think listening to you, I was thinking hybrid working, and this is what we talk about a lot nowadays after COVID. And I wonder if you have any lessons, strategies, tips to share with the listeners. How did you lead or what approach to leadership and management did you approach? to manage that hybrid working? Because my assumption is that there were a lot of your team working from home, but because of the nature of our business as a hospital, you had to have some team present on site. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's correct. There are certain roles in this department that you just can't do from home. You do need that presence on site, but equally there are some roles you never need to actually put in the hospital and, could, and you could equally do the role very well from home. I think one of the key things here was around trust and actually trusting your staff to, to get on with the work. I think micromanagement is, is, a, is a really poor leadership trait. And I think it would have tested people that did behave like that to the absolute limit during COVID because you couldn't see them. You couldn't poke your head out of the office and see someone at their desk. And I don't actually necessarily think that's a good measure of, of, of people's output or people's productivity. So I think trust was quite key as part of that. But equally, what I did do, and I, I did insist on as we started to return to a level of normality, is that I didn't mind and, and actually actively encouraged flexible working, but I did think we needed to have some anchor and some grounding with the hospital teams here. We did need to have some presence on site during the week. I come in five days a week, but I don't necessarily expect all the teams to because it's not always necessary, but I do expect some presence on site during the week because we don't want to lose touch with the clinicians, with the patients and the people that we're here to see. So thank you. I'm fascinated and, you know, expressed my happiness of you mentioning trust because I see it a lot these days. And I wonder whether you have anything to share, any insights about how do you develop trust or where does trust come from? Because you, you were new to the organization. And I think there were a number of ICT team members who were introduced, who were recruited into the team. So you may not have had the opportunity to develop relationships and develop the trust. So I guess what enabled you to, to give people credit that trust? 
So I think there are a number of things here. So when, when I joined Great Ormond Street, I was fortunate enough that I was able to bring in quite a few people with me that had worked in other organizations, but they didn't all start on day one. They, they, they were staggered over a series of months during my first, I think, seven months. A lot of people I'd worked with previously came in. And I suppose that does help in a way because it, there are people you know, there are people you trust. But what I did when I came in, and, and it's no different to what I've done in other organizations when I've gone into them, is start out with being very transparent myself and being transparent with my team and, and, and showing that I expect that transparency back. I have to be able to start with a reasonable level of trust with people. Because if, if I don't, we're not going to get very far. And I, and I suppose it's then to the individual, how they respond to that. And, and I was very fortunate that the large majority of people did respond quite favorably to that. And you, you may start off with a certain level of trust, but obviously over time, that level of trust builds up as we get to work with each other more, as we get to know each other more. But I was transparent. And, and I think it's about setting that example that I can be transparent. I'm willing to be accountable to my team. But likewise, I do expect that trust and transparency back from them. So how do you cope when things don't go your way, when you have obstacles or setbacks or unexpected events that might cause you to lose direction or to have to deviate your direction? What's your strategy for dealing with those? And what would be your top tips for our listeners? Well, I suppose it doesn't, I suppose it's, it there's no matter how experienced you are as a leader, there'll always be setbacks and obstacles. And for me, I think it's important to take the time to, to sort of think and reflect when you experience these setbacks. It's, it's really important to try and understand what it is, if anything, you could have done differently as part of that process that led to the setback or the the obstacle and I think it's also very important that you ask for the help that you need and to speak with your team and to share your ideas around the things the ideas that you have about how you could bring the situation back on track or overcome this obstacle and ask for their feedback to see if they if they've got any ideas for how your ideas and thinking could be enhanced and I think that's the main purpose of having a team a senior team or a team of people around you it's not that you have all of the answers for everything. It's also that you include them as part of what you're doing and you take on board some of their suggestions and you, and you, you, you bring them into the, that decision-making process. That sounds brilliant, Mark. And uh, a lot of hard work has gone into what you've achieved so far. So how do you switch this? This is just a personal question on, on you yourself. How do you switch off after a difficult day running a quite a large team, fundamental to the effective and efficient running of our organization clinically and non-clinically in ICT. How do you switch off at the end of the day? So I, I like to switch off the work with Taekwondo. It's martial art. And I've been involved with Taekwondo for quite a while and it, you know, it's good for keeping me fit and, you know, relaxing and switching off. And it's also something that I get to do with my son as well. So we sometimes trade together. And I, I think it's really good having that sort of hobby or interest outside work, something like that can take your mind off what's going on during the day. And I think Taekwondo, as with all martial arts, it requires concentration from your brain as well as the, the physicality of the effort, doesn't it? So I know that for me, skiing is great because it involves your brain and, and moving in 
areas that are normally unnatural. So thank you for sharing that, Mark. Can we tell us a little bit more about your club, its leadership, and how they encourage and enthuse the new generation, the next generation of, of Taekwondo exponents? Yeah, I think it's, it's an excellent Taekwondo club. We've got two really experienced instructors, very experienced, actually, some of the most experienced that you probably find in the country. Looking at them, what I found really interesting around how they sort of lead and develop the club is that they've got a really diverse range of people in the club. You've got someone like myself in the mid forties who could be training alongside a teenager, someone in their twenties. We all want different things out of training and we, we, we can all respond differently in terms of what our bodies can take and our, our fitness levels. And the thing I really like around the way our instructor treats us is that he's got this diverse range of people that he's training, but he understands what it takes for each of them to, to be better or to do better. And it's not a blanket message that he gives out or, or, or that they give out. He, he seems to understand really well what makes people tick and how to get the best out of someone. And I think that's a fantastic leadership quality. And, and I think it's something that keeps people motivated and keeps people wanting to improve and wanting to do more. And, and it certainly works with me. And I don't think it's that much different to actually being a director of IT or a director of HR. It's about understanding people. It's about understanding how they work, what their motivations are and how to get the best out of them. So when we were talking earlier, Mark, you said something just sounded beautiful for me about putting a spotlight on others. Could you tell us more about that? So for, for me, I think one of the most important things around leadership and around developing people is around not being selfish as a leader. I think you, you have, once you are in that leadership position, you do have to understand that it's, it's not always going to be about you despite the fact that you're, you're, you're the leader and looking back to other really good leaders that I've worked with and, and even thinking back to the example that I've given around my training in Taekwondo, the really good leaders actually put that spotlight on their team and actually do that to draw out the, the, the sort of talent and infuse people and make people feel special and, and make them feel really valued as in terms of what they're doing. And when I think back to the best people that I've worked with, they always manage to do that and they manage to do it effortlessly. And if I, if I can replicate even 10, 20% of that, I think it's a good thing and it's really important. Yes, that, that element of service and support to the team, which kind of turns it on its head, doesn't it? But we always assume the old fashioned leader sits at the top of the pyramid of workers and actually by sitting near at the bottom and supporting them and empowering them to make decisions. It's a much more effective way. As we close, just tell us what's, what's the latest developments in your world? What, what are you excited about? What are you anticipating in the future? And what does it hold for all of us? So I think the biggest thing going on at the moment for, for me is the fact that I've just recently finished writing the 2023 to 2026 technology strategy for GOSH. And that's recently been approved by the trust executive management team. So I think the coming year is going to see us you know, focusing quite heavily on the delivery 
of the strategy and, 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 and it pretty much builds upon a lot of the really good foundation work that we put in at the beginning and during my first two years here. And it, it takes us to a place where we start looking at some of the more interesting and innovative work that's coming up. Whereas before we were probably focusing more on foundations or platforms. Now it's more looking at how we can be innovative and take ourselves to the next level. So whilst we're sort of working on what the future technology offerings, gosh, are going to look like and delivering the strategy, I think there's going to be a real challenge here to how we sort of balance, you know, the sort of day-to-day -day business as usual, keeping the lights on against the sort of shiny, new, exciting stuff that we want to get involved with. Mark, can you share if there are other, amongst all the lessons that you've mentioned, but through the journey of developing the strategy and transitioning the team into the state where the, the strategy can be launched, yeah, what have you learned as a leader? What are the lessons that you would share with Gosh and the outside world? And maybe what, what further support do you think may be needed? Yeah, so I've, I think the last few years in the leadership role at Gosh have been really challenging in the sense that we've had a really challenging agenda. I've had to blend together a new team with an old team. We've had to change the perceptions of the IT service at Gosh. And I'm pleased to say that we've come through it really well. It's been such a time of change and learning for me as well, personally. And I think one of the things I would say when you, when you, you take on challenging projects like this, you do learn a lot about yourself as a leader and about how you're developing. And I think one of the really important things that I've learned as a leader, not just over this job, but over recent jobs is that it's, you have to feel really comfortable with your own leadership style. And this was something that early on in my career, or I suppose early on in any leader's career, it's quite hard for you to feel comfortable in that sort of style because you've always, when you're learning, I guess you kind of look at how other leaders do things and how other leaders act or respond to certain situations. And, you know, when you're, when you're learning and when you're emerging as a leader, you do get quite a lot of advice from other leaders on how you should do things. And that tends to be, you know, I'm, I'm not saying it's unhelpful, it is helpful, but I think to be an authentic leader or someone that people that can relate to and, uh, and, and respect, I think you have to develop your own style of leadership and, and you have to feel comfortable as a leader and going through quite sort of challenging periods of development really helped to bring that out and help you to feel comfortable in your role and, and know yourself as a leader. And it also helps you to develop and succession plan the people coming up behind you. Thank you, Mark. And you obviously are doing something right because they unbeknownst to you, we talk regularly to your team and I don't think I've ever heard a bad word. It's all been very positive. The authenticity, that genuine care that you have, that honesty. And that stretch that you offer as far as personal development is concerned. So thank you so much. And thank you too from your team, Emilia. I just wanted to share that I'm reflecting now on what Mark said, that importance of an acceptance of different experiences and feedback, that actually it's very important to go through different experiences, try different styles, make mistakes, reflect on them. And because it's a journey that 
I guess, arriving, I think that's what I'm hearing, arriving at your leadership style, your authentic self, your authentic leadership style. It's a maybe lifelong, but long-term journey and all the experiences are valuable. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think one of the things that's been quite key as part of the development or molding of this leadership team here at GOSH, in, within GOSH ICT, is around not having a blame culture. Because if people feel that they can make mistakes and people feel that they can come and say, like, actually, something hasn't gone as quite as well as I thought it would be, and this is the impact of it, it's not blaming someone. It's actually putting that support around them because that's part of their development. That's part of their learning. Somebody's obviously done that for me at some point somewhere else along the line in my career. And it's my responsibility to do that for other people that are learning and going on that same journey as well, because that's how we develop the leaders to come behind us and succession plan for the future. Yeah. So how you are, you shape the future for others. I think that's one of the key responsibilities of all all leaders. I mean, we can all remember, you've asked me about someone that made a positive impact on my career. I'm talking about someone I started working with in 2005, you know, so many years ago, but equally, we all remember the people that had a negative impact on our careers. And, you know, it's, I wouldn't want to be one of the people in the negative camp. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Power of Murmuration. As ever, we hope that this sparks your curiosity, encourages you to think differently and inspires your courage to act. Please join us again next month and goodbye till then. The team at the Gosh Learning Academy would love to get your feedback on the episode, as well as suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear. You can find a link to the feedback survey in the description for the episode. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn, or you can visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.